Previously, on Cover Up, The Pill Plot. I can't tell you how much work this is. It's huge. It's a huge amount of work. I think there were about 16 different places that were creating data for the cause. I just cannot guess what the FDA will decide. Would you have preferred to use it in the office, under observation, or at home? The Food and Drug Administration today approved use of the abortion pill RU486. We're, we're thrilled. It was, we were thrilled. I'm going to go into the political realm. I'm going to fight like hell to make it a crime to kill babies. In this historic decision, the Supreme Court has now overturned Roe v. Wade. In late June of 2022, the Supreme Court issued a ruling in the case of Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health that set the nation ablaze. That means we're going to have to strike for our rights. Every child deserves life. I believe this is a moment for incredible celebration. We're going to have to organize. It feels like my country doesn't love me and appreciate my body as a woman. We're going to have to educate. We're going to have to flood the coffers of abortion funds. Today's decision is a vindication for the rule of law, but it's also a testament to millions of activists. We're gonna have to open our apartments and our couches to people who are seeking safe passage. That is what we're up to right now. I believe that the right of a woman to bear or not to bear a child is one of the basic human rights and that this cannot be taken away from her. Larry later helped pave the way for Roe. He cited in the decision. He devoted his life to the idea that all Americans need the constitutional right to terminate a pregnancy, to have true equality. And then, nearly 50 years after Roe, the Dobbs decision means that human right is no longer a constitutional one. It's just another part of American life where your location, your privilege, and your luck, to some extent, determines what your future will be. Larry didn't live to see this day. He passed away in 2006. But I keep wondering what he would have made of all of this. So I put that question to Joan Later, Larry's wife. The first time we chatted, you, you said that, you know, Larry would have never let it happen when it came to overturning Roe. <laughs> and I would love for you to kind of tell me what you mean by that. Uh, I just felt that he would have protested and protested and protested. He died during the night on a Saturday night or early Sunday morning. And when I opened the drapes, in the morning, and it was beautiful sunshine outside, and I thought, the sun can't come up. The sun can't come up. With I mean, that was how deeply entrenched I was at his making things happen or his trying to prevent the wrong things from happening. He would have done his uttermost. Larry couldn't have single-handedly stopped the Dobbs decision. Joan knows that. He was a singular force for sure, but the things he fought for took teamwork and a shared conviction. 
We were going to get to the bottom of this. We got to get your tickets. We got to get your passport. This pill could sit in limbo here forever. I and others will do all in our power to ensure that this outrageous ban is lifted. I don't think it was considered controversial. It was controversial. We knew if we didn't try, nothing would happen. She was going to be making history by what she did. I feel like it was necessary to do it, and in some ways I feel lucky that I was here at the right time so I could help. And Lindsay, the clinic director from the radical West Coast that gave the pill plot its heart in Leona, thinks that it wouldn't be hard to assemble a team again. Dobbs really may defeat them because they've again put it into a position where we must rise. Taking down Roe was like taking Normandy Beach. Overturning Roe was a huge victory, but it's not the end of the war. Dobbs is just the beginning as far as Randall is concerned. He's looking to the horizon. And more than three decades after celebrating the Bush administration's import ban on RU486, anti-abortion forces like Randall have received their biggest victory yet. Today, a federal judge in Amarillo, Texas, heard arguments in a court case that could force the FDA to revoke its approval of Mifepristone. In April 2023, a federal judge in Texas did something unprecedented when he suspended the FDA approval of a drug. Specifically, Mifepristone, RU486, the abortion pill. The pill that was approved more than two decades ago and has been used by millions of people since. That accounts for more than half of all procedures nationwide. But Judge Matthew Kaczmarek, who was appointed to the bench by Donald Trump, suspended the pill's approval on the basis that the FDA's review process was rushed. Just think about this. Our campaign started in 1989. The FDA does not approve Mifepristone until September of 2000. For Ellie Smeal, who's still at the feminist majority, the idea that this process was too quick is inconceivable. It took 11 years. Clinton comes in and makes it easier to do the research and easier to become accepted, let's put it that way. When I say easier, it's still very, very difficult to get a drug approved by the FDA. And that's probably the way it should be, but unnecessarily difficult because the political nature of this bill, because it helps women. The Texas case, which will decide Mifepristone's fate, is still making its way through the courts And as of this recording, it's unclear what will happen. It's possible that it may be illegal once again, across the country. And that goes for states where abortion access is still strong, like California, New York, and Colorado. This is exactly what Randall Terry is hoping for. Our mission is unchanged. It cannot change. It will not change. We have to make it a crime in all 50 states to kill a baby. But the winds of change blow both ways. Change can come to you whether you like it or not. Because that punk spirit that drove Leona Benton and Lindsay Comey, the laser focus that fueled Larry, 
the unwavering conviction that made the pill plot possible in the first place, it's still very much alive. It doesn't mean that this is the end of the road. The only way we can eliminate them is to break them openly and openly over and over again. Now, we got to stop this. You are not going to get away with this. From Sony Music Entertainment, this is Cover Up the Pill Plot. I'm your host, TJ Raphael. Today, for our season finale, Chapter 7, New Horizons. We explore what's next in the battle over the abortion pill and the future of reproductive access in America. Stay with us. Springtime is all about fresh air, fresh starts, and freshly clean homes. And it's the perfect time to give a fresh look at Simply Safe Home Security. The home security system many of the most anxious people I know recommend. Here's why people love it. Trusted by experts, Simply Safe was named Best Home Security System for 2024 by U.S. News and World Report. And Newsweek awarded it Best Customer Service in Home Security. The system blankets your whole home in protection. It has sensors to detect break-ins, fires, floods, and more. Plus a variety of indoor and outdoor cameras to keep watch over your property, day and night. It's backed by 24-7 professional monitoring for less than a dollar a day, so you get fast emergency response and dispatch when you need it most. Simply Safe has given many of our listeners real peace of mind. I want you to have it too. Get 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for fast protect monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com/coverup. That's simplysafe.com/coverup. There's no safe like Simply Safe. We're standing in front of a medical building here in Oakland on the Pill Hill section that once housed Women's Choice Clinic. This was the mothership. Along a narrow street that has barely enough space for two cars to pass, Women's Choice Clinic stood proudly for nearly four decades. It's an unassuming doctor's office. Passing by, you wouldn't even know this spot was once choked with protesters, holding signs, shouting, screaming, blocking entryways. This is where many anti-abortionists, unfortunately, would gather to harass us as reproductive health specialists. So this is also the place where Leona Benton had her surgical procedure after she was denied her medication by the Supreme Court. I did 32 years working here in the clinic. But Women's Choice Clinic no longer exists. It closed in 2009. For Lindsay Comey and a lot of other people in the community, it was a huge loss. When you were in our facility, you felt that compassion, that care. You knew that you were with women and that somebody was there to ensure that you had everything that you needed. The 2008 financial crash hit them hard. A lot of these small independent providers didn't survive that. But the market crash wasn't the only factor. The constant harassment, the picketing, the increase in liability insurance because of all the false claims by the antis. I cannot tell you of the frivolous general liability claims that forced every abortion clinic's general liability to go from $500 a year standard to $23,000 
for your liability insurance. Lindsay says that when protesters couldn't block entrances, they found other ways to target clinics. It started to turn into chemical warfare when we started getting anthrax in the mail. Between 1998 and 2009, when Lindsay's clinic closed, more than 650 anthrax threats were reported by clinics. The fact that we had a protocol where one person sat and opened the mail with plastic bags and gloves is stupid. It's absolutely stupid. Now, they did develop better screening when they started getting anthrax in the uh, political arena. But initially, it was us, clinic workers. Clinics were at risk, and that made them risky in the eyes of insurance companies. So insurance rates go up. Throw on a new requirement and regulation like extra-large hallway sizes, operation costs go up. It all adds up, especially for community clinics like Lindsay's. It can push them out of existence. People don't understand. They're like, oh, you just, you weren't good accountants. And it's like, no, we were under attack and no one cared. For Lindsay, the abortion pill has helped tremendously to expand access to abortion. And it's how most people terminate their pregnancies today. But she understands that it's not the end-all, be-all. If you have a miscarriage, and you, whether you have it naturally or you induce it, if it doesn't all come out and you're having horrible cramping, you're going to go to the hospital and they're going to do that same procedure that we would do for the abortion. So it's important for people to understand that every method is backed up by abortion, by surgical procedure. And the data shows that most Americans support keeping access to abortion open. A recent Gallup poll shows that two-thirds of Americans believe that the abortion pill should remain legal and available to those with a prescription. It also shows that as much as 85% of American voters think abortion should be legal in some or all circumstances. And when the issue has been put on the ballot, it has won. People in Kansas in the U.S. have voted to keep abortion legal, rejecting an amendment to the state's constitution. Abortion rights on the ballot for several states, including in Kentucky. And now the results are in. The voters in the Commonwealth decided to protect abortion access in the state constitution. Well, Michigan has now voted to protect abortion rights, overriding a law that dates back to 1931 uh, that would have put a definitive end to abortion rights in that state. What do you say to someone like Randall Terry when he says, well, it's murder. Abortion is murder. Well, I mean, I think uh, murder is murder. I certainly never, ever consider an abortion murder. Abortion is medicine. And it's really about a woman and her pregnancy and whether it's appropriate for her to have a pregnancy or not. It has nothing to do with murder. And that love of the fetus over everything is really disheartening to me because it just lies. 
And if you want to call me a name, you want to call me a baby killer, you want to call me a murderer, because I participated in thousands and thousands and thousands of abortions, will you go right ahead and do that? Myself, I'm going to identify myself as a true champion of women. Today, Lindsay is nearly 70, and she's still active in the same radical community that she found in the Bay Area decades ago. And even though the pill plot is long over, she's going to keep fighting in hopes that those who support abortion rights will do the same. This Dobbs decision has rubbed women the wrong way. People talking about, you know, caravans from illegal states to regular states and making that happen and money going into that. I mean, that's incredible. But why do we have to do all that? It's early in the morning and 20 young women meet at a church in Texas for one reason. They will travel to New Mexico and get an abortion. And that's what we need today. We need more of that. And that we need to stand together as those courageous people and say that in the name of reproductive justice, you are not going to get away with this. Coming up. And the fear of prosecution for the women is a huge part of this. Even though activists like Lindsay want to push the fight forward, people like Randall Terry are waiting to push back. That's next. Welcome to True Spies, the podcast that takes you deep inside the greatest secret missions of all time. Suddenly out of the dark, it's appeared in Laden. You'll meet the people who live life undercover. What do they know? What are their skills? And what would you do in their position? Vengeance felt good. Seeing these people pay for what they'd done felt righteous. True Spies from Spyscape Studios, wherever you get your podcasts. Have you ever felt like escaping to your own desert island? Jane Gaskin did exactly that, trading in the family home to begin a new life in the tropics. But she soon discovers that paradise has its secrets. I'm Alice Levine, and this is The Price of Paradise, the island dream that ends in kidnap, corruption, and murder. Wish you were here? Follow The Price of Paradise now, wherever you listen to podcasts. When the Supreme Court issues its decision in the Dobbs v. Jackson women's health case, Randall Terry is in Washington, D.C. on the court steps. So thankful. It's It's too many years, too many dead babies, but it's it's a step towards the end. We are dancing on the grave of Roe versus Wade. We are dancing on the grave. The scene is chaotic. Lots of photographers and cameras flashing to capture this historic moment as people scream and cry, some with joy, some with sadness. And there's Randall right in the middle of all of it. He's got on a suit and tie. He's one of the people crying and shouting. He's hard to miss. It's one day, one day, one victory. It's like taking Normandy Beach. He does know how to draw attention and says as much about the day on his YouTube channel. I had the privilege of being on CNN, on Fox, 
and I probably did realistically between 30 and 40 interviews with networks from all over America and around the world. And I was there for it. I'm the last living pro-life leader who was present at the Webster decision in 89, the Casey decision in 92, and the Dobbs decision in 2022. Randall's in Washington, D.C. when the Supreme Court handed down three of its biggest decisions on abortion. In 1989, he was there when the court ruled that public resources can be restricted for abortion in Webster v. Reproductive Health Services. He was there in 1992 for the Planned Parenthood v. Casey decision. And last year, he turned out when the court overturned Roe in Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health. I'm the last guy standing. I was there for all three. And I'm so thankful that I was. Many of the people who were standing side by side with me when I was in my 20s have passed on. Or they're in a nursing home. Randall isn't much younger than Lindsay. He's 64 years old. They're contemporaries, which is really weird to wrap my mind around because they're perfect foils. They're both uncompromising, passionate, yet they have wildly different beliefs, tactics, and goals. They've been on the opposite ends of the same battlefield for decades, and they're still fighting, albeit on completely different sides. There are people who are in the pro-life movement who have made the tragic error of saying that women should not be prosecuted at any level, and they are 100% wrong. Randall says he started Operation Rescue because mainstream anti-abortion groups like the National Right to Life weren't bold enough for him. Randall wanted to be unequivocal, unavoidable. And when he hit the scene in the 80s, he did make a splash. In part, because the things he was saying out loud were considered extreme. But while Randall's rhetoric may have been out there, his strategy was super focused and deliberate. He didn't want the movement to just stay in the streets. He wanted it in the halls of power. Do you believe in punishment for abortion, yes or no, as a principle? Uh, The answer is that... There has to be some form of punishment. For the woman? Yeah, there has to be some form. Randall started planting the seeds early, back in 1991, during the Summer of Mercy. We knew that we had to change the law. And so we started recruiting people to run for office. We started recruiting people in our night rallies to become committee members of the Republican Party. As Randall recruited thousands of people to his cause, He told anyone who would listen to him that his movement wasn't going to be used by Republicans anymore. The pro-life movement has been the mistress of the Republican Party. They give us a pretty red dress and take us out to dinner and want us to be available to them. You know, we want your vote. We want your money. We want your volunteer hours. And we'll make you these promises. I'll take you home to meet my mom. But Randall doesn't want promises. He doesn't want half-steps. He's been vocal about his goal for decades. End all abortion. I get a little bit disgusted when pro-lifers say, we're going to pass this bill 
that makes it harder for abortion clinics to run a dirty clinic because we want to protect women's health. Oh, bull crap. You want to outlaw abortion, and you know it, and I know it. Let's not play cute games. You want to make life miserable for that abortion clinic so that they shut their doors. That's what you want. That's what I want. So let's just own it. Let's not be cute and say, we're concerned about women's health. <laughs> as long as the woman can kill her baby in a nice, clean atmosphere, we pro-lifers support that because we care about women's health. What? What? Really? <laughs> it isn't a question of whether or not mifepristone or surgical abortions are considered safe by the medical community, by doctors, by scientists. Randall doesn't want them happening at all. And he knows what needs to happen to stop them forever. And that will include outlawing RU-486, banning its importation, and prosecuting those who possess it here in America. Randall's argument here about outlawing and criminalizing the importation of mifepristone could have held water when Larry and Leona smuggled it in 1992. Just Think about that. Those were not the internet ages. Joan was sending the press release out to the media via fax. People didn't have smartphones. The average person couldn't go online and order some drugs from England. That's partly why Larry and Leona flew to London. Would they have done the same if the pill came out in 2008 instead of 1988? I am not a computer programmer. But I know that there will be a way for them to see who is ordering the pill. And then we have to criminalize the importation. We have to charge people who are trying to bring it in. We have to talk to the nations that we deal with, Canada, France, whoever, and say, if you see an order being placed that is going to a U.S. address, then part of our treaty, part of our business dealings with you is that you will not permit that to be sent here. Randall has thought this through. He's thought about exactly what it would look like to criminalize abortion medication. So imagine a young girl who knows that she will face no prosecution whatsoever, and she gets the RU-486, okay? She's got it in her hand. Police come to the door. She opens the door. She holds the pill up in front of the cop and says, see this copper? It's an RU-486. Watch this. She pops it in her mouth. And she swallows it, and she says, what are you going to do? Nothing. Would you like me to give you one for your girlfriend? In other words, it's, it's absurd. You have to have it be criminal for everyone participating in the death of the child. So that's the mission. And I hope that the pro-life wussies out there who are saying otherwise do us all a favor and get out of the pro-life movement. Randall's banking on help from a new generation using old-school Operation Rescue tactics. Go grassroots. Get the word out. Apply pressure until you get results. He wants to put the squeeze on individual pharmacists at places like CVS and Walgreens. He hopes they'll call their bosses and corporate and say, We don't need to be selling this drug and disrupting our other clients and our other patients Please stop selling RU486. We don't want to dispense it. Anti-abortion activists have already started protesting big box pharmacy chains. In January, 
About 50 protesters crashed a Walgreens shareholder meeting in California. Two of the protesters broke into a conference room ahead of the meeting and hid in a closet before jumping out in front of executives. These abortion bill needs to stop. It needs to stop. It's eugenics and it's a, blood is going to be on your hands. Randall's in touch with one of the protesters who jumped out of the closet. And he's counseling other anti-abortion activists too. There is a move afoot to try and get face repealed and to, to have it thrown in the dustbin. Now that the court has ruled that abortion is not a constitutional right, well, then why do we have face? Let's get rid of it. Without Mifepristone, abortion would return to the clinic. And without the FACE Act, clinic blockades could resume. The kind of mass protests we saw during the Summer of Mercy could once again be completely legal under federal law. Clinics would be right back to where they were in 1992. But while most Americans sit and wait to see what will happen, others are staying the course and working in the trenches and carrying on the legacy of other crusaders. For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. That's next. Stay with us. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. In the 1970s, John Todd burst onto the evangelical scene with a shocking tale. He claimed to be a former witch involved in a then unheard of secret organization called the Illuminati and urged Christians to prepare for a violent world takeover. First of all, the number one weapon in everybody's home should be a 12-gauge pump shotgun. Hear the amazing story of one of the originators of the modern-day conspiracy theory. From Magnificent Noise and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Cover Up, The Conspiracy Tapes. Well, I, of course, will always remember this. It's late spring of 2009. Julie Burkhart is in the nation's capital. She's there traveling for work, and she's more than a thousand miles from her home state, Kansas. Julie is an abortion rights activist. By this point, she's been working in reproductive health care for more than a decade. Her entry into the field was baptism by fire. Why? Well, when Julie was early on the job, she worked one summer at a clinic in Wichita. And she was there when Operation Rescue descended on the city for the Summer of Mercy. 
Yes, it was a frightening time. Julie didn't let Operation Rescue scare her off. She stuck with reproductive health care and eventually landed a gig with Dr. George Tiller. He always had wise advice and guidance, and he really helped me think through issues, both professionally and personally. He was a person who had great compassion for people. When she's in D.C., Julie's laser-focused in this meeting. And when it's finally time for a break, she heads outside. One thing that's always stayed with me is it was just like the perfect spring day. Julie visits a farmer's market, walks around a bit, and then heads back inside to the meeting. And I had my phone on vibrate. And I noticed my phone was just vibrating incessantly. Julie gets up to check her messages. A close friend has been trying to reach her. So she returns the call. I was told what had happened. I just thought he was playing a mean, mean joke on me. Julie hears something unimaginable from her friend. And it's not a joke. He tells her that her boss and longtime mentor, Dr. George Tiller, has been assassinated. Dr. George Tiller was shot and killed in church yesterday. For years, Tiller was a lightning rod for abortion rights opponents, and his murder is sparking new fears for the safety of other abortion providers. Dr. George Tiller was shot in his church during Sunday service on May 31st, 2009. It was unthinkable. I think the the community was traumatized by it. Ann Swiegel is the former deputy district attorney who helped prosecute Shelley Shannon for Dr. Tiller's attempted assassination back in the mid-90s. She was still on the job when Dr. Tiller was eventually murdered. And she prosecuted his assassin, a man named Scott Roeder. He came down the day before the murder took place on May 31st. Well, he did attend the Saturday evening service, hoping that Tiller might come to that. He did not. He came back the next day, and he was armed with a uh, 22 caliber gun that he had uh, recently purchased at a pawn shop in Lawrence, Kansas. And he came into the church, went into the sanctuary, Dr. Tiller went into the church sanctuary to talk with some of the ushers. When he turned around to leave, Roder followed him. And just came up to him, took his gun and pointed it right at his forehead and pulled the trigger once and then took off. George Tiller was 67 years old. He had a wife, Jean, and four children. Roder had planned this assassination for years. He stalked Tiller in Wichita before murdering him to learn his movements. He had visited Shelley Shannon in prison multiple times. And yet, somehow, he fell through the cracks. The jury deliberated for 37 minutes, and Scott Roder was found guilty and sentenced to life in prison. But in 2016, his sentence was reduced to at least 25 years behind bars. And Shelley Shannon? 
She was released from prison in 2018. Living through something like this, seeing your friend, your mentor, your boss being murdered in cold blood because of their job, might scare some people away, drive them out of the profession for good, and say it's just not worth it. That might be true for some people, but not for Julie Burkhart. Almost immediately after his assassination, I was thinking about how can we continue to provide services in Wichita, Kansas? How can we continue to honor his memory? How can we work to expand services in areas that are, frankly, inhospitable? Working by Dr. Tiller's side, she saw him endure death threats. And yet, he still came into work to help patients, to teach Julie and pass on knowledge. And Julie's decided to carry on his legacy in all kinds of ways. In the week following his murder, Julie worked to reopen Dr. Tiller's clinic. And she founded the Trust Women Foundation. She transformed it from a kitchen table startup into a $5 million operation that provided care across Kansas, Oklahoma, and Washington State. And it wasn't just that. We engaged the legislature and also on people's doorsteps to help educate them about maternal health overall and why people should care more deeply, we would hope, about abortion rights. And last year... In the first election after the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, people in Kansas voted overwhelmingly to protect abortion rights. And Julie's work will continue no matter what. In May 2022, just before Roe was overturned, a clinic she was opening in Wyoming, the only clinic providing surgical abortion in the state, was hit with arson. A young woman has been charged for the attack. I got a phone call. It was definitely before 6 a.m. from one of the contractors. And when I saw the name of the contractor pop up on my phone, I immediately knew, like, something bad had happened. Like, you're not really going to get a call from your contractor (laughs) in the wee hours of the morning unless something has gone wrong. The clinic was up in flames. It was just devastating because we literally had had the whole building remodeled. New paint, new flooring. We'd added a couple of rooms and a restroom. We had done rewiring, you know, security system. I had moved equipment and furniture into the building. And it was all gone. The fire caused $290,000 in damages. But... Julie still wasn't deterred. I purchased a mobile health unit. So we're going to operate out of a mobile health unit before the building is ready because, you know, it's, it's vitally important that people in Wyoming and surrounding areas have a place to go to for first trimester abortion care. And then the plan is to take that mobile unit to another place after the clinic has been remodeled in Casper. 
and to move that to another place in the Mountain West. Julie's motivated and unafraid, despite being in a business that can be pretty dangerous. I asked her how she keeps going, even in the face of the threats she faces. I just don't think we're built as people to go looking for (laughs) the bad. I mean, I really don't, even though I know bad things happen in life. But I don't think we're wired that way inherently. We have this setback, and, and this is a setback. This is an opportunity for us to to be able to say, what is it that we need to do here that we could do now? What does it look like over 10 years? What does it look like over 20 years? You know, are we gonna be able to win back abortion rights overnight in these totally banned states? What are the incremental pieces that we can put into place on a political level to make this happen and to not let our foot up off that collective gas pedal that's gonna bring justice for everyone across this country. Talking to Julie, I find myself hearing echoes of Dr. Tiller, of Lindsay, of Ellie, of Patricia Ireland, and Larry. They're all people who were willing to put themselves out there over and over to risk it all for the cause. And here is Leona Benton and Larry and um, Patricia Ireland behind, where you can see with various photographs um, and Ellie Smeal. When I visited Joan later on a chilly morning last February, she showed me this photo from Leona's time in New York in July 1992. And then over here we have, here we go, and here's Leona giving her speech in my black skirt. (laughs) (laughs) You can see how triumphant they felt about the whole thing. And the idea, of course, as you know, was to bring the knowledge of RU486 to women in America who knew nothing about it. Right, right. Nothing. Yeah, so that's... Yeah, she looks so happy. She looks so happy here, which... She was a terrific woman. She was just perfect for the job. As we leaned against the grand piano, Joan showed me a bunch of pictures in the living room. And when the church bells across the street rang as the clock struck noon, I saw this moment frozen in time so clearly... It was right there on these glossy old photos. They told part of this story of the American abortion wars. In this chapter of the story, a group of determined people decided to make the impossible possible. These people were up against serious odds, violent aggression, a government that had little regard for science, and a court system stacked against them. And yet, they carried on. When I started this project, I had never heard of Larry Later, which now just blows my mind. It's something I told Ellie. Larry Later was a champion for abortion rights. Every young woman should know his name. And I didn't know 
about Leona. Oh, yes, she was witty. She was just the ideal person. Leona talked with those student filmmakers a few years after her pills were confiscated at JFK. They asked her if she'd do it again, and she said, quote, There's no question. If this whole thing started again tomorrow, I would do it again. People with that level of conviction are wired differently. If there's a sliver of possibility, a keyhole of light, they're going that way. The only option is to keep moving forward. Whether it's on the seas. Her plan is to sail a boat into the Gulf of Mexico and provide the services in federal waters. Or in the air. They're not going around state laws. Instead, they are going above them. A group of volunteer pilots now offering free flights for Oklahomans needing access to abortion care. Or over land. Many American women are coming here to Mexico to buy abortion pills. The most commonly used does not require prescription and costs about a tenth of the price. Or through the Internet. Lawmakers proposing a bill that would allow health care providers to prescribe medication abortion through telemedicine. Cover Up, The Pill Plot is produced by Sony Music Entertainment. The show is hosted by me, TJ Raphael. Our story editor is Maureen McMurray. Our senior producer is Kleena Kim. Our producer is Casey Georgie. Our associate producer is Kyra Asibe Bansu, along with Gabriela Santana. Our executive producer is Lizzie Jacobs. Sasonia Davenport and Tamika Balance-Kalazny are our production managers. Theme music and mixing for this show was done by Joanna Catcher of Nice Manners. Additional music comes from APM and additional engineering from Sam Bear. Our fact checker is Natsumi Ajisaka. Special thanks to Krista Ripple, Erica Gaida, Serena Chow, Rachel Choder, Catherine St. Louis, Tom Koenig, Steve Ackerman, Ryan Shepard, and Christopher Brown. You can listen to all of Cover Up the Pill Plot by signing up for the Binge and Apple Podcasts. And we'd love for you to leave a rating and review while you're there, too. Have a question or comment about this week's show? Send me a tweet at TJ Raphael. Thanks so much for listening. For Sony Music Entertainment, I'm TJ Raphael.